Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos, HSI familia, and welcome to episode nine of season two of Que Pasa HSIs. Today's episode will re-energize and rejuvenate you, which many of us need at this point in the semester. In the last episode, we learned with students at one of California's Hispanic serving community colleges, and today we get to learn with the president of one of California's Hispanic serving community colleges. As noted in Dr. Mar Dr. Marcela Cuellar's recent practice brief entitled, how can we reduce racial equity gaps when at a minority serving institution? 94 of the 116 community colleges in California are HSIs, making them important sites for learning how to enact servingness. Yet the knowledge offered in this episode is for all HSIs, and especially presidents and other leaders charged with leading the most racially and ethnically diverse institutions in the US, HSIs. In this episode, Dr. Angelica Garcia, who serves as the president of Berkeley City College, shares insight into the intentional way she implements servingness through a racial equity lens and with Latinx students at the center. She offers in insight into how HSI community colleges are distinct from four-year HSIs and talks about why we should approach servingness differently. She also talks about governance and statewide policy efforts that align with servingness. President Garcia is known for her inclusive leadership and successfully leading BCC through recent accreditation and fiscal stabilization efforts. During her tenure as Vice President of Student Services at Skyline College, her leadership led to the design and implementation of Promise Scholars Program, a program focused on increasing two and three year graduation rates. Impacting institutional change, she created the Student Equity and Support Program Division, provided leadership for the implementation of guided pathways, and led college and district-wide efforts to address food and housing insecurity experienced by students. President Garcia's leadership and equity advocacy includes her appointments to the Student-Centered Funding Formula Oversight Committee appointed by the Speaker of the Assembly. Additionally, as a member of the statewide CCC Guided Pathways Advisory Committee, Dr. Garcia has advocated for increasing input from students, classified professionals, and faculty from the colleges, as well as sustaining an equity-minded perspective in the implementation effort. Her professional experiences also include serving as the president-elect for the executive board for the Chief Student Services Officer Association, a board member of the Latina Leadership Network for California Community Colleges, member of the HERS Board of Director, and co-founder of the newly formed Colegas for Latinx Professionals in the California Community Colleges. She earned a doctorate in educational leadership at San Francisco State University, a master's in social work at San Diego State University, and a bachelor of arts degree in liberal and civic studies at St. Mary's College of California. I first met President Garcia when I worked with BCC to host a series of virtual trainings and workshops for the campus community. The most impressive thing about her leadership is that she is an unapologetic Latina who centers advocacy and activism in her work. She shows up as her authentic self and often translanguages between English and Spanish, which is truly beautiful. I also had the honor of serving as a keynote speaker for Colegas in November 2022, where I witnessed the power that her and her Colegas created, which is a Latinx-centered professional space for California community college staff, educators, and leaders. 
I am a huge fan girl and hope you enjoy this show as much as I enjoyed recording it. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Let's go ahead and get started. President Garcia, thank you for taking the time to be here today on Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. But before we talk about what's up with HSIs, let's talk about you. Uh, first, let's hear a little bit about your higher education journey from access to completion. Tell us about it. Wow. Well, thanks for the um, for the opportunity to join you. I'm very excited um, to be spending this time with you. My journey into higher education in a lot of ways, I feel, um, is a very familiar story to students um, because it was uh, just messy, <laughs> just messy. Um, I grew up in Fresno, Califa, so Central Valley, Fresno, California, and I went to a um, private high school. It was a Catholic high school, and it was a combination of, you know, my mom um, really scraping up her money to give me access to an education that would lead to, to college. And the other was it gave me a chance to play sports um, and, and was able to get some support, right, to deal with the tuition. So um, so my experience in high school was just so different from the neighborhood where I lived um, to the school that I went to. I was surrounded by um, a lot of middle class, upper middle class folks, um, like parents that were um, doctors, accountants, business owners, very different, right? Just so different from where I grew up. But I, I, I want to honor that because it was my mom really struggling and and making ends meet, if you will, to provide access to an opportunity that she didn't even know where it was going to lead to, just that it would lead to something. So um, I don't talk a lot about that, I realize, in, in previous talks that I've had with people. And I don't know why that was, but like right now I'm feeling like that's a, that's a true access point. Because I think especially of a lot of um, communities of color, Latinos especially, I mean, it was a Catholic school, so, you know big, large Mexican Catholic family. It just kind of resonated. Um, but there's this element of wanting to provide more for your people, for your gente. And um, so how I ended up in higher ed is that I wanted to go away to college, but my mom was not interested in me leaving Fresno because nobody leaves. And um, the only way that I could leave was if I went to a Catholic college. So that's how I ended up in the Bay at St. Mary's College of California, because it was a Catholic college. And, and there was this sense, I think, where my mom felt like, OK, they're going to look out for you there. Right. Um, and very different. It was liberal arts. Um, I learned about stuff that I didn't even know existed, like Socratic method and the great books program and reading about a whole bunch of dead white men. And, you know, and then only in when I senior years did I start to get exposed to um, kind of more diverse authors and, you know, thoughts and stuff. So it was um, in a lot of ways, it was really hard and painful um, because of the environment of the kinds of families and students that were there. But the great part, and this is where I think especially for Rasa is that we end up finding each other, right? Like we end up finding and making that community. So I connected with, um, with Latinos and predominantly Latinos and some other folks of color and, um, and, and had this space where um, we actually bonded over the fact that we felt so otherized on the campus and, um, and started to raise hell uh, to put it blankly. I mean, we just, 
yeah, we just in in uh, <laughs> in that organized chaos, we became I became an activist and I didn't even know what was happening. I just was like speaking out that shit wasn't I'm sorry, the stuff wasn't fair. Um, so anyway, so with that, um eventually I graduate, but here's where the story comes in. Like I was that person that was like on academic probation my first year. I had the Latina counselor reaching out to me and would say, this was before emails y'all. So they would like give you that letter and like send it to your residence hall. And so I'd have that letter there. And, um, and I just, I never went because I don't know. Cause like, that's, you know, you get to the office, that's bad news over there. I'm not going to go over there. So I didn't even know that she was reaching out because I was Latina, because I was first gen, because I was low income, hella scholarship, all that stuff. Until I got the letter that said, if you don't come in, like you might get kicked out. Cause I was uh, not doing well in my classes. So I finally went in to see her. Um, her name was Adelia Jimenez. And, um, and that was the first time, like, I thought she was going to tell me, like, this is how you suck. This is how you're not doing things. And she was like, hey, que pasa? Speaking of que pasa HSI, she's like, que pasa? What's going on? And I found myself just crying because I started talking about being homesick and that I had all these damn jobs and that I didn't understand my roommates and why would things so white and I feel so broke and just like I found myself just bawling and and crying and realized that she was the first person at that college that asked me just like hey what's up what's going on and um I'm so grateful because then I was able to slowly get my stuff back together and eventually graduate but I'm one of those people that graduated with like a 2.67 GPA I was active I know I'm smart I know I work hard but something about that schooling just didn't work for me. Um, and in the end, I'll just fast forward to this, where that impacted me is that when I went to go get my master's, like years later, I had to petition to get into a master's program because my GPA in undergrad was so damn low. And they were like, oh, we're not sure if you can do graduate work. You know, your GPA is so low. And um, and I was like, that was six years ago. You know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing then. I know what I'm doing now. Um, so I spent my first year in my MSW program at San Diego State on probation, my first semester. And they were like, if you don't get a 4.0, we have to kick you out of the program. I was like, all right, like a 4.0. Yes, all A's. I got you. No problem. Um, and that was one of those times when I'm like, shit, this is when people tell you, like, you don't know what choices you make now. So in that one, like the choices, the behaviors I was doing in undergrad, led for me to have this GPA that like created this barrier um, six, seven years down the road. And if I didn't have the advocacy to fight for myself, I, you know, could just be like, okay, you're not in this graduate program. And I don't know, maybe I'm not here where I am. So, um, and then, you know, go into the field and my doctorate comes way later. And that came out of, I was just really freaking tired of people saying that I couldn't do things because I didn't have a doctorate. And I was like, okay, check papelito done. Um, and I know that seems really shallow, but legit, that's what like fueled me to consider getting a doctorate. Cause I was like, no, I'm tired of you all at these four-year institutions silencing me. So, um, I think I'll stop there. Cause I'm guessing you have more questions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I love it. I love, love, love all of it. Thank you for bringing your mom into the, to the story. That's so important. Right. And talking about where we're from, right. Naming that you're from Fresno, California, from Califas, anybody that knows California, right. We know the significance of, of Fresno. Right. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I got a PhD for the same reason. I felt like people mm. in higher ed, like, yeah, I'm like, I, I'm saying all the things and no one's listening to me. And I had a master's degree, which is, I thought was enough, but nope, 
leading a Title V, you know, Title V efforts at Cal State uh, Fullerton, actually. Um, mm. I just felt like if I had a PhD, maybe people would listen, right? And it's true. Like we feel And now that look way. what's happened. Look what happened. Hello, right? people listening now. <laughs> Hello, people listening right now at this present moment. Um, and, and often, right? And same with you, right? But it's like your story, I kept feeling like challenge accepted. <laughs> you yeah. got to get all A's. Challenge accepted. Got it, right? Like you kept like accepting the challenge. Okay, cool. I could do this. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's wonderful to hear your journey. Um, and we're going to get into more where you're at today. So it's good to know how you got here, right? Because people just see people being all awesome and they think, you know, you were just born awesome. We were, but we had struggles <laughs> along the way. <laughs> I mean, my mommy would say so. But. Yeah, we were all born awesome, but you know, we fall into some pits every once in a while. There's some struggles here and there. Um, so let's get into servingness a little bit. Tell me about your servingness journey, or you know, otherwise stated, how did you come to know about HSIs? Because nowhere in that story did you mention HSI. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Right. And that's I think that that for me is an example about how higher ed um, does that by design or at least the spaces that I was in. Um, so how I came into um, kind of HSI space was uh, remember I shared with you that like I went to pursue my doctorate because um, I was like, all right, look, y'all don't get to silence me. But the other thing was, is y'all don't get to silence students. So I was at a four-year institution working with predominantly first-gen, low-income. And at the time, these were students that were conditionally admitted to the, to the university, to the college. So they had to come into a summer bridge, have a successful year. Similar to my story with my master's, right? You're almost like you're on probation. You're like on this trial period for a year somehow to prove que, que lo puedes hacer, right? That you can do it. And so... Um, And so in that, I found myself thinking like this college, like we have to do things differently for students of color. And and we've had these things that are symbolically supposed to make a difference. And if you get into the right program or with the right advisor, you're going to have a good experience. But why should it be a one-off, right? Like it shouldn't be that students just happen to, to have a class or connect with that advisor. So um, my, I focus my research on um, on Latina uh, Latinas, because at the time I was seeing a lot of my students, especially Latinas who were getting caught up in this space of what the academy wants you to do and what your family needs for you to do. So I would get students, I'm, I can, I'll never forget this one. She's a doctor now, but at the time um, she was in a, like a OCHEM class and she hit me up like the night before, like it was like 10 o'clock at night, something crazy like that. And she said, I think I had to go home. My mom just called me. There was all this like DV stuff going on. She had a younger sister in the house. And, um, and it was, I remember this, it was a Thursday and she had an OCHEM test on Friday. And she was like, I need to go. And, you know, I'm going to email my professor. I'm going to let them know here's the emergency. And then I'll take the test, whatever, when I come back. And, um, and she, cause I had trained my students. I was like, anytime you all reach out with faculty, include me in it so that then I can be a part of supporting you. Right. So included me in it. And the faculty member, I think on the one hand was like, okay, thanks for letting me know. And then when it came time for supporting her for the makeup, it was just like challenge after challenge. Oh, you might cheat. Oh, it needs to be a supervised environment. Oh, all this stuff. And like just adding layers upon what was essentially this weekend of trauma that this young hermana had to deal with. And, um, and, and where it centralizes on the, on her culture part is that, you know, she had a mom that didn't speak English. There was like 
all kinds of social worker involvement, police involvement. And not that I needed that chemistry faculty member to solve that problem or anything, because she had her support system, but I needed for him and she needed for him to just say like, damn, that sounds like it was a lot. How can we now, you know, set you up so that you can, you can take this test, right? Because mind you, everything about her, her um, experience and her work in that class was on point. But that wasn't the case, right? Everything became about like, well, if I do this differently, it's not fair for you. And, um, you know, you should never go home when they call you like that. You're, you know, your family should handle it. And it was making her choose in a, in a really detrimental way, how to balance being the role that she was in her family as a Latina with her mom and her sister and who she was trying to be in the academy. And that experience is what led for me to be like, we need to figure out what's happening here. So I got all kind of involved with um, Chicana Latina writers and, you know, Dolores Delgado Bernal and Ansaldua. Tara Yoso was just coming out pretty dopely with um, her community cultural wealth. So there were all these Um, amazing scholars that were talking about that culturalized space. And it was there that I started to capture like, well, shit, the more, I'm so sorry, I don't mean to curse. The more like brown, rasa, community focused a school is, like, man, imagine how then students don't have to feel like their souls are being bifurcated or like they're being asked to like, just ignore a part of who they are. So that led for me to really get into, um, some literature, some theory, some experiences. And the HSI part came in when I started looking at what are the institutions, who are the institutions that are producing higher success rates for Latina, Latino, Latinx students. And they tended to be um, HSIs. They tended to be those that had a larger population of Latinos where they had intentional um, like STEM programs for MESA or intentional mentoring programs. And then I started to really get at, okay, all right. So there's there's actually like a framework out there in the world in, in, in higher ed. And um, soon after I got my doctorate, it became evident to me that I needed to be at an institution that was focused on supporting communities of color, especially Latinos, African-Americans, and I would even say Southeast Asian. Um, and, and the HSI piece for me was like, I felt like, oh, I don't, I personally, like I, as a professional, as an educator, don't have to separate who I am because how I show up is actually who that student needed in that OCHEM. And imagine if we have faculty who could do that. So, um, so I came to Berkeley city college when I came here three years ago, um, it was a huge transition. Um, it was in the middle of pandemic. So that in and of itself, I feel like is a whole other piece. But when I was looking for presidencies, I was intentionally looking at those colleges that had HSI designation and those that had in their mission, in their work, in their like focus that they wanted to continue um, to uh, build upon that. And I found that in BCC, even in a way that in my previous college was not as salient. Thank you. I love hearing people serving this journeys because they're all different and it's not like oh, I opened a book, right? Like very people, people say, oh, I read your book, Dr. Garcia, right? That comes way later in like the thinking about deeper level, right? Like we all come to it in our own way, right? Like yeah. our own intuitive ways of like, there's gotta be a better 
way to deliver education that actually validates people's ways of being, their community cultural wealth, right? They're all of them. Every When you show up, you can be who you are. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, HSIs are that space, but not yet, right? We're, we yeah. know, <laughs> you're like that part. <laughs> yeah. We're trying, right? But people like you that have that vision that are leading HSIs, like what a, what a, what a great opportunity, right? That you, you can see that, right? You can see that it's, it's more, there's more than just enrolling a lot of, a lot of students. Um, so thank you for that. And by the way, we love the translanguaging and the, and the cursing, all that you right. are allowed to be <laughs> yourself as long thank as you. it's okay. If your daughter's listening, I know you said your daughter oh. might be listening, yeah. <laughs> um, but if my she's like mama's. my kid, yeah, if she's like my kids, they already know. <laughs> They're like, my mom curses all the time. <laughs> so let's talk about the presidency and how you're using that, right, to enact, enact um, servingness. You're our first HSI president, and I'm honored. We're honored. Mm-hmm. We're super excited to have, you know, our first president, Latina president, Latina identified president of an HSI. How cool. Um, you are known for your inclusive leadership, for leading with integrity, and for building collaborative relationships to build educational institutions that work for everyone equity, and racial justice. So tell us a little bit about how you're using your leadership position as president to enact servingness in practice. Mm -hmm. I love this question because, um, you know, I said in the beginning that I feel like my journey is a little bit messy, non-traditional all over the place. Well, you know, it wouldn't be me in my life if that's not how my presidency started. So I started at BCC um, at Berkeley City College on May 7, 2020. And I was working at my previous college as a vice president of student services until May 6th. So I didn't even get like what normally becomes the, you know, you get some time to transition because we are in the midst at that point, what we're like two months into the pandemic for COVID. We're trying to just support students. We're trying to support faculty, classified professionals. So there was no time to, um, adjust. So I just like threw in, I almost felt like I was, you know, I showed up to like a big tamalada or something. And I'm like, all right, what, where do you need me? Um, and in that space. So as a, I will say as a trained social worker, one of my skill sets that came through was the ability to connect and understand like systemically what was happening um, and listening to what was happening to folks and, and getting a sense of like, how are students experiencing this right now? How are classified professionals experiencing at faculty and even the admin team um, and what's happening with the local community? So I, I kind of did a quick assessment and and listening tour. And because we were just in this crisis problem solving mode, um, the, I will say the usual spaces of the academy where governance can take forever for things to happen was shortened in in a lot of ways, because it was all a matter of safety or whatever state guidelines were saying, or, you know, health department guidelines. Um, So like a, like a good trained activist, you never let an opportunity pass you by. So I was like, all right, well, here we go, right? We're going to use this sense of urgency to really build on conversations. And so in on opening day, so BCC is definitely known for um, the work around supporting students for transfer um, programs around biotechnology. And then we have a growing program um, with community healthcare worker, which um, I might talk about a little bit later. Um, but when I looked at the data, the there was a disproportionate impact in that predominantly white and international students were claiming the transfer rates. And Latino students, African-Americans were not um, at comparable rates. So my very first opening day, I'm like, I'm so happy to be here. I, I love this community. Look at this work that's been happening. We should celebrate this. 
And man, we've got some work to do. And I led with the data and, and all the racial and ethnic demographic data and um, enrollment patterns. Um, I used words like uh, needing to push back against white supremacist systems. I used structures like we need to um, recognize that institutionalized racism has found its way in our policies and in our practices. And if we don't question that, then um, we're just going to perpetuate it. And right. So this is opening day. And afterwards, I had all these folks like like go back and they're like, I don't even remember a time that anybody like a president said white supremacy, like, you know, and that I even know what that meant. And I was also using language like needing to push on heteronormative folks. You know, I, I share with you, you know, I'm, I'm out queer woman and, you know, married to an amazing woman, have two amazing daughters. And so I'm even mindful of how the heteronormative um, language can really dominate and isolate. And especially when you intersect that with communities of color, pff, it's a whole, that's a whole other thing right there. Um, so because I opened with that, I felt like um, uh, the college got to just see me. And, and I started by opening up the story of like, this is how I come to this world so that they could understand the lens and how I look at things, how I make decisions, how I hear things. And so they saw things like photos of my mom, picture of the house where I grew up, um, the lineage of, at that point, my grandmother, um, who was still, um, who had just died the year before, right? Like it, it was the, I got them to kind of see and to connect with the me. So, um, so in that it became a, um, I just do me, right? So people were like, oh, what does that look like? I'm like, well, I feel like people need to know who they're dealing with. Like, yes, I'm the president, but make no mistake. Like I am Chicana, I am a mom, a daughter, an activist. I am all those things when I'm a president. And so if you don't know that that's what I'm about, then you might not understand how it is that I'm either gonna push a conversation or something. And so um, the the pivotal point for me where I think I put it front and center around the kind of the black and brown tensions that were coming up, especially what was happening around COVID was with the uh, murder of George Floyd. When that hit, um, I just um, embraced that in a way of um, this, this racial reckoning that was happening, um, acknowledging that we had to talk about that, that we had to acknowledge the, the pain and the trauma that that was causing. And, um, and so with that, we started to do things around the campus. So even though we were closed, we had marketing on our walls, on our big windows that are right on this main street, center street. And it was um, a Black Lives Matter. We had an entire um, series about inclusion and access and racial equity is for you. Um, just everything that we could do public facing to let the community know. And, um, and, and so in that, that was like the leading part. The where I am now with it is um, we are in our third year of our HSI grant and, and doing amazing um, this, the level of programming, community of engagement, the way that students are just really engaged and succeeding um, is going well. We recently received our first um, Anapizi cooperative grant. And so we brought this together about how being HSI and Anapizi, they coexist. They are not in opposition to one another and how that benefits the whole community. Just yesterday, no, no lie here, no mentira. Eh? We were talking about how our website really needs to reflect that we are a serving institution. And so the marketing team um, working with students just um, shared with me this new graphic that's going to go public that I'm super jazzed about. Um, and we started talking about 
And especially with that work, and you know, um, Dr. Garcia, because you've been doing some work with us, right? Like we are challenging those pieces in the how students and the community experience us from the outset, but also how we are challenging our policy. So like our professional development looks different now as a result of the work of focusing on, on servingness. Our um, evaluations look different. Our comprehensive program review, the level of um, data exploration from that racial lens is much more prominent than four years ago. Um, I feel like I could go on and on forever, but I'm going to stop right there because otherwise you might not get me to shut up. <laughs> I Maybe I don't want you to shut up. I'm, I'm like, ooh, like so many good things, so many layers. And thank you for bringing Anna Peasy into it because people mm-hmm. do think they're in opposition. Like they're yeah. like, you can't be HSI and NPC. You can't have both designations. You can't have both grants. And it's like, you actually can, you gotta, yeah. you know, there's some strategy to it. Um, and you shouldn't have to choose between one group over the other. Cause that's how people see it. Right. That's how mm-hmm. students see it. Um, and I don't know if you want to just briefly describe your, um, your student population for oh. listeners, because your, yeah. your population is really, I think unique for HSIs. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be exact numbers, but like, so yeah. general, like who's there? Yeah. So we have, we are at 20, um, 26% of our student population identifies as, um, uh, well, Hispanic, you know, how the iPads data, mm-hmm. um, but then we also have this growing population where we have a mixture of like Afro Latinos and, and more kind of that mixed mm. race category. And so then I would say when we combine that, we have another like nine to 11% um, that falls into that space. And so with this growing uh, Latino population, especially because, so we're located um, in downtown Berkeley. And so for, for listeners, I want you to visualize, like we are a six story, um, half a city block building. Um, around the corner is Berkeley High School, which has more students than us on the daily because um, it's the one high school in Berkeley. And then, so that's going one direction. Going up the other direction, you can see the Campanile, UC Berkeley's Campanile Tower. And then all around us is uh, either UC Berkeley or business workforce stuff. So where BCC is located, we're in this downtown hub, true urban kind of vibe in that sense. And I like to say that we have from our dual enrollment students, which we have some Latino focused programs, our dual enrollment students, all the way to like, you know, PhD astrophysicists that are walking around the hood. Mm. And, um, and so that kind of space lends itself for these amazing opportunities for collaboration, um, for community engagement, and for students to really see us as, as being in the community. Um, we started doing this thing called BCC in the community. So I go with the team and and we started to do it to welcome new students. Um, And I got the idea. I'm not going to claim it as my own. I got the idea from a sis, a Nirmana at Kingsborough Community College, Dr. Claudia Schrader, who started doing it during the pandemic because she wanted students to feel like they were coming to college. Amazing. Um, I told her I loved it. She's like, Angelica, here, I'll send you the, the blueprint and you can do it. So we started to launch that. And so our BCC in the community have gotten to welcome students who were at their job as a youth counselor um, with uh, an older parent who had just like was um, opening up her own business. This young African-American woman um, got to meet this um, gentleman who then became our associated student body president. Um, right. So it just was this way to be out in the community and not be like, hey, you all come to us. Um, and so. So the way that BCC sits in that space is um, 
uh, unique, right? It's unique. It's ripe for opportunity. And I'd love to say that I want our community to be as proud to have us in their backyard as they are UC Berkeley. And I want that to show up in their dollars and their donations. I want that to show up in Mm. how they support students. And I want that to show up in how they um, engage with our community events. And so, um, so that's been one of the um, just really energizing kind of spaces with where we're located. Like you can't, yeah. you can't get away and not see Rasa community families, you know, paleteros will come by every now and then we had a, we had a, a pachanga in the plaza, um, just to kind of have like a block party. We had students coming during their lunchtime from Berkeley high. We had folks from Cal, we had folks from BCC and it was just being out there, right? Like we yeah. are here for you, um, with good music and good food. <laughs> of course, that's part and of resources. Lots of resources, how to get to college, financial aid, transfer. Yes, all that yes. But the music and the food are part of serving this. Absolutely. Well, as is, yeah, as is Bad Bunny. I've already said this on, you know, Instagram multiple times. <laughs> so there's layers to serving this, you know? <laughs> and students are usually um, amazed. So like the few times we've had DJs and like, you know, I find myself, I'm doing that little, like, like a little bit of the cholo lean, you know, I'm just like mm. not really moving that much. And uh, when Bad Bunny came on, like I must've had some kind of like really big physical movement. And one of the students and was like, President Garcia, you know, Bad Bunny? <laughs> like, yeah, my tia knows about Bad Bunny. Yes. <laughs> You're like, yes, Mija, calm down, calm down. He's multi-generational. He's hitting it. He's in it for all of us. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for that description. I think it goes right into this, like nicely into this next question, which I have want us to talk a little bit about the uniqueness of two-year HSIs and you, you know, centered Berkeley City College in that and kind of mentioned like, you know, UC Berkeley a little bit, like, uh, you know, in the, in the wind, um, like what is unique about doing HSI work at a two-year um, institution? And, and should we be approaching serving us in a different way than we do at four years? Oh, that is such a good question. We were just talking about this in president's cabinet yesterday um, because anyway, an article came out, someone was critiquing um, HSI. I know you've done your fair share of um, good critical critique of HSIs. And we found ourselves yesterday in our president's cabinet talking about the difference between a two-year institution and a four-year institution. Um, and, and, and so kind of where that sits for me, and, and I'm going to pull from this conversation because like my colleagues were on fire yesterday as we were talking about it. Um, so we know that in Califas, here in California, um, the predominant racial group that is growing are Latino, Latina, Latinx. And we know that they make the majority of the population in the California community college system. And that we also are then able to support students to either get into a job training or transfer um, through a community college system. So if one is just looking at the the kind of, I like to call it the brown print, <laughs> the brown print of what's happening, then what you see is, so if we know that this is the largest racial uh, demographic group that's growing, and we know that for a variety of reasons, community college is the access point then how are we by design ensuring that community college is the access point, but almost like on this like accelerated speed belt, right? So it doesn't become the story of someone who's in a community college for six years, 10 years, you know, sadly, those really long lengths of time. But what we say, okay, we recognize that we are at your starting point and and this is how we're going to devise this pathway to get you to the next point. Now, when it comes to transfer, you know, a lot of the things that that we try to focus on are really supporting students on 
what is the kind of institution um, that is going to meet your academic needs? What is the kind of institution that's going to meet your personal needs? Um, and what is the institution where you feel like you will be able to thrive? And for students, right, that changes. For some of them, they're like, I really need to be close to family or I need to be in the hustle and bustle or whatever it is. But we have those conversations with them as part of that transfer going process. And as an HSI, we do it in like, workshops in advising in the language and the marketing I feel like it's in all the spaces it's it's even me like I'll I'll ride the elevator with students and I'll be like hey what class you got going on where are you trying to be how much longer till you're gone like we just get into that and that constant framing and so for two years um, the focus really needs to be about understanding as soon as possible where it is that a student wants to go um, so that we can help design being that acceleration point. And for some, um, look, they are here, they might do the associate degree for transfer, two years, boom, done. For others who are joining us from dual enrollment, because we have the opportunity to connect with Latino students, especially in their in their high school years, shit, they could graduate from high school with college level credits to then be able to advance and accelerate into a four-year institution. And so that is something that I see for us as a place of responsibility to educate the community and students about that and also to deliver. And I, you know, I like to say, I had a femtor once who would say, um, look, you need to get in, get through and get out. And, and so the way I translate that is like, I love you and I love having you here, but you have got to go. Like we need for you to go on to your next, um, to your next point in the journey. And as college president for BCC, where I push the envelope is things like the UC system, not having articulated um, ADTs the way we do with the CSUs. The fact that UC Berkeley is right up the street and it's one of the most challenging universities in the world to get into. And so constantly putting there like how students who are born in this zip code, who are educated in this zip code, who do community college in this zip code should have a pathway into a premier organization that's right around the corner. Like, I feel like that just is a, a needs needs to happen. And, you know, the chancellor at UC Berkeley is they're definitely doing their work to try to become an HSI. Um, but the constant question is, it's not just about the numbers. We know this because you know what? Students are going to leave if they're not getting the level of support, if they're not feeling um, the servingness part at the, at the institution, they're going to leave. And for us, I want them to leave because they've completed, not because they're not feeling all this other stuff. Um, and then the other piece I will say is um, as community colleges with an HSI, because we are an access point to what the next piece looks like. For me, when I think about it, like, I just want you to go to college, whether you go to UC Berkeley or Cal State East Bay or UC Davis or Harvard, in a lot of ways, that does not matter to me. What matters to me is what matters to you, where it is that you want to go. So unlike a four-year that's really thinking like, hey, we need you to be here, graduate from here, get credentialed from here. Um, my role, I think our role at the community college level is to get them um, to wherever that place is, um, because we're about students. We're not about the home institution, right? The, the landing institution. Yeah. 
That was the most well-articulated response to that question I think I've ever heard. So thank you because I ask people and I think people are struggling with it to, to distinguish. And, and as a scholar, right, of HSI, I take some responsibility for that because I think we've mostly deferred to four years, um, even in my own work, right? I have mostly written about four years. Um, and even in working, I'm working with a lot of the California community colleges. I'm constantly like, okay, does it apply, right? And having to even question and working with folks like you who, are able to then, you know, give me feedback. I'm like, does it apply? Does this service apply? What does make it unique in a two-year um, space? Because it is, it should be different. Well, and if I may, you know, one of the things that's so interesting, so I shared with you that in uh, 2020, um, when we were talking about our transfer rates at that point, it was predominantly um, white and international students. For the past two years um, here in the state, Berkeley City College has been recognized for closing equity gaps and increasing the numbers mm. of Latino Latina students who are transferring. And for me, what I'd like to say is that is by design as an institution, um, recognizing that from you know that point of early advising or admissions and records all the way to when students are completing their last course, everyone is now on par that we need to serve students in a way that matters culturally um, to them, that connects with them. And in this particular case for our Latino students, that has meant that we have year over year increased the number and the percentage of Latino students who are completing um, their transfer and in many cases going right into CSUs or UCs. And I'm really proud of that, right? Because then that generationally, those students are then telling their primos, their brothers, their sisters, mm -hmm. And that's where the communal impact, um, you know, for me, I believe that this work is about disrupting um, uh, generational poverty. And I believe that this work is about disrupting the impacts of gentrification in the communities in which like the example of where I live. Um, yes, certificate college degree, but I really believe that our work is more about combating systemic poverty and systemic racism. Access to higher education, completion of higher education just happens to be the mechanism. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's a good way to like the everything you're saying is like such a good response to people's um, critiques of HSIs as centering Latino, Latinx, Latina students too much. Right. And but but what you're talking about is like we're it, it's more than that. Right. It's bigger than that. And I try to say it all the time, but you're you're doing that. Right. You're like we're we're, we're disrupting racism. Right. We're just systemic racism, um, mm -hmm. systemic poverty like that's HSI. It's not about being Hispanic exclusive, um, although you do center, you know, Latinos in your work um, in the HSI work in particular. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's complicated, but it can be done. And you're just giving us so many good ways to think about it. Right. That it is it, it's complicated work, but it's it's important work and it's racial justice work. I say that all Absolutely. the time. HSI yeah. work is racial justice work. So for the presidents that are listening, because I'm hoping this episode is going to get to all the presidents, um, we'll get it at least to the to the California Community College yes. presidents, because that's that's your those are your colegas, right? Yeah, um, the 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 presidents listening and other high level administrators. What kind of advice do you offer mm. to folks that are stepping into this work and trying to do leadership work at HSIs and as they're thinking about becoming more intentional HSIs or spaces of racial justice? Mm. Um, I think first and foremost is, um, is stopping to ask the question, why is our organization seeking HSI? And I know that seems really basic. Like, look, it feels like, why would you ask that? Well, 
Because if the answer for me, if the answer is organizationally, we have had an increase and a growing enrollment of Latino, Latina, Latinx students, um, that uh, community-wise, we've had a growth in this population that, right, whatever, that if the, if the data and the community are telling us, are showing us that the need is there, then I believe absolutely you go all in con todas ganas and you figure out how to support your organization to do that. If the answer, right, if the answer is we really need to increase and diversify the level of funding so that we can support the students that we have right now, um, that is not the answer. And that's just me. That's a personal piece. And I know that some of my my colleague presidents out there may not agree. That's okay. Um, because there's always going to be a need to diversify funds. There's always going to be a need to figure out how you bring in more revenue. But if we're not understanding at the start with HSI that it's about community, that it's about responding to what's happening outside of our organizations, then I don't see how HSIs will actually engage in the servingness because then it's just about meeting data metrics and the reporting grant. And it's not about like changing, fundamentally changing the culture in an organization. Um, and, and the fundamental shift is this. It doesn't mean that if you're centering Hispanic or if you're centering the that element of the culture, that it's dismissing others. If anything, for me, when I say that, that you're centering this, you are bringing and putting in your organization, I feel like you're kind of, and I'm, I'm visualizing this, right? It's like you're bringing in like these hands that come together and you're saying, okay, community, I hear you. We see you. Okay. We know that you're here. We're going to hold this, but guess what? Because of how y'all operate, it's not just about you. It's going to be your neighbor and the person across the street and your comadre over there from a different ethnicity, right? Like the way collectively that this culture works, it is a collective effort. Like once I have deemed you an hermana, whether you're Latina or not, doesn't even matter. Right. And like, that is the cultural piece that I want I believe that we should do with the with the servingness because culturally there is that space. There is that like now you are, we are, I don't know, I keep thinking of like in La Kesh, right? Like tu eres mi otro yo, you're my other half. Like there's something about the way that centering um Hispanic servingness is about embracing other. And if if presidents could just see that honor it. And maybe you don't have to know what it feels like necessarily, but if you can honor that, then you're going to hire the people that are going to be able to make that possible. You're going to fund the programs that will make that possible. You're going to change the policies so that that can be created. But you have to be willing to say, yes, we recognize that culturally centering this kind of vibe is going to be about embracing otherness. Um, there's a lot of tension, especially I think with black and brown. And there's some presidents that are really nervous about like, how do I do HSI? Because the narrative becomes like, well, why, why aren't we doing this for African-American students? Why aren't we doing this for our AAPI or PETA students? Um, and that's real. That's real because systemic racism is real. And systemically in this country, um, you know, the powers that be thrive when we are fighting with one another. So college presidents need to know that those dynamics are there. And it's not about you, president. It's not about your college. That is about like society. That is about what has been conveyed to our communities. And so this is where I like to say, like as presidents, as educators, we need to do our own work, like figure out whatever work you need to do to be comfortable in your own skin with your own racial ethnic group, your own identities, intersectionalities. Like if you can't love yourself, how can you love somebody else? 
And that I think is, is for me, the foundation of servingness. And, um, uh, because then that black and brown dynamic that comes up, we can say, look, y'all, it's not about in between our communities. So let's find out where our points of common interest are. So I'll use a very programmatic example. We will have event programming that it's specific to get Latino students um, in a career fair, and we're going to bring folks in and get them connected. That is an event that while it is centered around Latino students is open to all students. So everybody gets to benefit from seeing a badass chingona Latina scholar come and be a keynote, right? Not just the Latino students. Everybody gets to experience, you know, the African-American scholar from Southern California doing hella good work, not just the Latino students. And that's what I hope community college or all college presidents would hang on to. Do your own work. Do your own work. You got to be all right with who you are so that you can then create the space for others to um, colegas, other colleagues, to be able to understand that we do not, we're not fighting, y'all, we're not. Um, when we're fighting, that's where the power structure continues to win. Absolutely. Who are you taking us to church today? Oh, all this, I'm like over here, snap, 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 preach on <laughs> it, right? Like it's such good. I, and you're talking about solidarity, right? In such an important way that like we can be in solidarity. We can do good work together. It's yeah. not about like divisions between people. That's not going to get us nowhere. And that comes from you being an activist, of course, right? That like we know as activists, you have to work in solidarity. Yeah. You got to work together um, to make this, this happen. So I feel like after this session, I'm going to like write something like you're giving me so much inspiration. So thank you. I'm like, oh, I have so many thoughts uh, <laughs> going on in my head, which is the beauty of this podcast is we're doing a lot of knowledge generation, right? Right here. <laughs> I see AC shaking his head. Yep, yep, yep. We are we are learning with you and we love it. So we're going to transition um, to talk a little bit about um, this idea of govern these ideas of governance and external influences, which um, in my new book, which I know you're familiar with, because I spent time with y'all last year talking about it. It wasn't yet written, but well, it was written, but it wasn't published yet. We'll be out soon. And when this episode comes out, it'll be out. But in transforming HSIs for equity and justice, I talk about how HSIs need to address things like governance and think about how they deal with the external influences, the, the you know, the state policy, the, the community, all those things. Um, come in. Um, but in all honesty, I have a lot of lear lot to learn about these ideas, particularly in the fact that I don't do it in practice every day like you do. So um, hopefully you can help us think through some of these concepts um, even more. So talk to us about the aspects of governance that HSIs should be thinking about. Yeah, well, I think it's important for listeners, especially if you have folks um, outside of the California system, or at least in the world that I live in, the California Community College system, is um, we are we are definitely a participatory governance um, group. So according to Ed Code, it's you know it's legislated in terms of the spaces of consultation, collegial consultation, and it's outlined in a particular way, especially um, in regards to how we engage with faculty. Um, so just know that in the backdrop, you know we have we have that. Um, from a practice perspective, so I felt like you set this up nicely when you talked about um, the collectivism and the solidarity piece. Um, in practice, what that looks like is um, recognizing that while going through governance um, takes time, um, 
that it's also critical for input and it ensures that that folks, different constituency groups have an opportunity to provide input on a given matter, especially as it's going to um, influence or impact students. And within an HSI context, I find that the language around governance is really around just like racial justice and racial equity. So at Berkeley City College for the past couple of years, we have been doing some extensive self-evaluation of our governance process. So um, I'll give you an example. We are transitioning for some of our major college governance spaces to go to a tri-chair model because previously it was an administrator and a faculty and there was no space for classified professionals to have a leadership role in that. So we've transitioned to um, having tri-chairs in um, many of our groups. And we started actually with the college roundtable, which is our highest governance. Um, that's the kind of the last stop before a recommendation comes to me as the college president. That matters in a racial context in two ways or in an equity context in two ways. One is that it, it starts to challenge and break the hierarchy that the voice of faculty are more important than classified professionals. Um, so it starts to it starts to question and challenge that. And, and second, and probably more salient, is the fact that the broader diversity of our workforce is in classified professionals and not in faculty. So it is in that where we're actually seeing more engagement of folks of color, especially um, entering into these governance spaces. And as an HSI, that matters because it's the governance spaces where you need to have folks who are willing to think, who are willing to challenge, who are not comfortable with the status quo. And that's not to say that my really amazing white colleagues can't do it, not at all. Um, it's just saying that like a, you have to have the leadership to lead that. And so what one of the conversations that I'm most proud of is within the first month of my presidency, um, I had a phone conversation with the incoming academic Senate president, and he was coming in new to the role, you know, and we're, we were connecting, we we're trying to get to know each other. And then I thought, I have this burning question. And I had this moment where like, is now the time to ask him or do I need to wait a little bit? And I just want to shut no, there's no time to wait. Right. So this is, I think the HSI part that like, you need to just act now. So I asked him, I said, I really would love to hear how it is that um, that the academic Senate has elected an all white executive team for the academic Senate. You know, he stopped and he's, he's he identifies as a white male. And I realized like I'm kind of calling him out on something like on his like, you know, day seven on the job and not even because he was was during the summer. So not even on contract, I don't think. Anyway, um. And we got into what started at first as a really awkward conversation. And then I found myself going, okay, whoa, 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 let me, let me back up here a little bit. I am not questioning your commitment to equity, to students. I'm not questioning the process. I'm just trying to understand um, like how, how it works. Um, so please don't take it as a personal piece. Like I'm just trying to figure out so that then we can, you know, I can figure out like, how can I support you? How can we work? As we started talking, um, that opened the door for us to continue those kinds of conversations throughout the year. And then, you know, now um, this year he has uh, he has more diversity on the academic Senate with senators and in that executive group. And I don't want to say that it's because of me. I want to say it's because we have the space to talk about it. Um, to move through. And so in governance spaces is where you have to do that because now he's pushing that kind of lens and thinking in academic Senate meetings or in district meetings that I might be a part of um, that level of inclusivity. And it has to be intentional. And because governance is about 
people work and relationship work, we need to understand how it is that we vibe. Like, trust me, there are some people in my college, they might respect the work that I do. They may not like me personally. And while that makes me a little bit sad, that's okay. I don't need you to like me, but I need us to be clear that we're on the same page when it comes to what we do for students. And, and in governance spaces, that's where you have to center that. So um, in, in these spaces is where we're centering the disaggregated data, where we're centering, we're asking the questions of like, who is not in the, what voice is not in the room right now, where we're asking things like, huh, have we asked enough of, of students in their input here? Have we included classified professionals? Are we, right? It's like, you have to like ask the questions and lay those out intentionally. And sometimes that leads to some really hard conversations, which is why I go back to, I know I said college presidents, but I think everybody who's an educator who's about this work, you need to do your own personal work so that you're not manifesting that through your positional power or through a governance process or right through, through some other mechanism. Cause I feel like that's when it just gets really just, man, not, I want to say like no manches, like that's when it just gets really bad and messy and, and it gets personal in a way that it really shouldn't be anyway. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking, right? When you said that you, I'm going to say called in this white man, that yeah. it was that you were doing exactly that. What you had said was um, you got to do some internal work, right? Yeah. You got to look around. All you did was brought this to his consciousness. That that was yeah. all, right? Yeah. But how cool that like there was a good, you know, outcome to that. And it, it was, it was, yeah. It, it And I will say to his credit and others is that then, you know, I get to with the college president and the president of the faculty academic senate there's just a lot because of my roles where you connect a lot and so i have been able to witness um my colleague in even debriefing sessions when we're hiring using language about what is it that we need um what is it that students need questioning some assumptions about even like an institution where a finalist a faculty finalist might come from and not trying to get seduced by something like that right because we're we're constantly coming back to how, how is this person going to impact students today, right now, if they were with us? So anyway, it's been, it's been, it's been a really, um, it's been pleasant. And I will say as a first time college president, I'm grateful, but it was by design and intentionally, because I had seen previously at other organizations, what it looks like when you don't take care of that relationship, how it can actually cause more damage. So it was almost in seeing the, what doesn't work sometimes that you learn like what to do differently, kind of. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that kind of gets into my next question about governance is like, you just shared with us um, some important pieces of governance structures and, and also a, a, a success, uh, I think, success story, right? And like your process of of, of leaning into serviness, leading into racial equity work. Um, but what are some of the challenges? Because I think a lot about like, I write these things, I talk about these things, and then I'm like, good luck. But yeah. <laughs> the reality is there's some, there's some, there's, there's barriers, right? To some of these things I'm talking about it sounds good on paper. It sounds good in theory, but there are some, some real structural challenges to enacting, you know, racial equity work and governance. So talk to us about some yeah. of those challenges that you got to get through. Um, well, so the big, oh, I shouldn't say the big, I feel like there's quite a few, the one that comes to mind for me right now, and even as an HSI, you know, as, as you're very well aware, um, that, that allows us to, um, you know, compete and, and propose, submit proposals for funding to help us do some work, right. In, in the interest of advancing success. Um, but that's still essentially soft money, right? So it's not real until it gets institutionalized. It's not real until the general 
budget accounts for it. So the challenge is, um, and in the work, and it does have to happen through governance and through our institutional effectiveness and planning, is how do you build in that this work that we're doing needs to be part of our ongoing every um year budget as opposed to, well, we'll do it as long as we have the money. Because that's one of the downfalls of HSIs that aren't doing the governance and institutional work is that then cuando, cuando no te dan the, you got the 100 out of whatever it is, I feel like the scoring is crazy on these grants. Um, then some institutions are going to say, well, that was, that was a good ride. And then next thing you know, you know, positions are being let go, students who got accustomed to a level of support and programming, that's gone. So the challenge, and this is my real life challenge right now in these fiscally tight times um, with declining enrollment patterns, just kind of the general sense of of kind of a lot of questioning on like, what is the value of higher education and a college degree, right, Um, is figuring out how to institutionalize our, our HSI efforts and work. And so for me, that has been, how am I um, supporting the institutionalization from the, from the IR office? Because, you know, to do that kind of constant data evaluation, disaggregation, disruption, you need people with that lens and that training to do it. So how am I making sure that IR is staffed the way it needs to? Um, folks that are that are on HSI funds right now, how are we building that into program review so that when this funding of the grant runs out, we are able to say that as a college, we're prepared to absorb it financially, Um, right? That's where it comes in, that if we're paying for a counselor right now on HSI, I'm really proud to say like we have one going through our prioritization process right now. So it's going to be institutionalized. So you kind of kind of do it like one by one and you got to institutionalize it because then that's when it's really about HSI, not just when you got the grant, right? When you got the grant is when you get to celebrate, but um, that challenge is big. The other is, and I haven't faced this as much in uh, at Berkeley City College, so I want to acknowledge that because I think I work with some really phenomenal colleagues. Um, but when we talk about like even diversifying faculty, I haven't had too much of the, oh, well, we have to hire the most qualified person, right? I know that sometimes that tends to come up. And while I've not experienced that, what I realize is that um, how you institutionalize it is in how we approach our screening committees and how we review applications and how we're really addressing the biases that come out so that um, while we're not saying, oh, we need to hire the most qualified person, therefore we're not going to maybe focus on a candidate of color or woman if it's STEM or something like that. Um, we ask ourselves the questions related to um, what is it that this faculty is supposed to do? What is it that students need and who has shown who has demonstrated um, and experience a commitment evidence that they do this. Um, that is HSI work because now we're questioning and we're challenging folks who are just, you know, that social reproduction. I mean, I'm comfortable with that. That looks like me. And even for me is like, that's not, I have to question that. Cause you know, not all Brown is down. And so you gotta like, you gotta, it's about the work. And so um, with that, I have my own work to do. We have our own work to do to make sure that we're not, um, that we're not becoming blind to the systems, just going with what's easy. And, and so in this case, the, the challenge around hiring is making sure that the institutional discussion around it doesn't, um, um, doesn't cut down. I'm not, I'm sorry. I cannot be eloquent right now, but doesn't cut down like really amazing qualified folks 
because of some weird archetype that we've built in our head about what a science faculty member looks like or what an HSI director looks like or does that make sense? I don't even know if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it does. No, like, it's, yeah. So I just, it's what yeah. we value, right? We value like yeah. certain things on paper. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, getting seduced, sure. even like mm-hmm. even getting seduced, right? Like, like there's some folks, I'll tell you, I had this one interview where this one, you know, hermano came in and I was like, all right, I see you. He was like coming down kind of zoot suit style going. <laughs> and uh, there was a conversation where someone was like, well, that was an interesting, you know, outfit. And, and I was like, I don't really see how that matters with what we're discussing, but you know, actually I thought that was pretty fly if we're going to talk about that from a fashion sense and then just rolled over it. Right. Mm-hmm. So not giving it any more attention than it needed and acknowledging it and just moving on. And let's talk about what the candidate said he was about. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I do have to say, I love that. I love when, when, uh, when I get to experience folks that are trying to figure out how to show up and still be like culturally authentic. Like I even realized today, trust me, I didn't plan this. Um, but I felt like wearing this little heart necklace or butterfly necklace. And I love wearing my little dreamer butterfly necklace with this shirt. Mm. And then I was like, dang, I need to look professional. Okay, I'm gonna put a blazer on. Right. Mm. But, like, but I realized now with my little, you know, Mexican shirt here, I was like, oh, like, this is me showing up for work. Right. So mm-hmm. like, this is how my college experiences me. Anyway, breaking down assumptions of what we think people should look like. Yeah, absolutely. And we need that. And we need more of you. Like we need more college presidents and more leaders that um, think like that. This is exactly what's going to transform, you know, institutions, colleges and universities, HSIs. Um, and so with that, anyone that's listening, that's now a big fan, because I'm fan fangirling over here. And it's like, how do I become a college president? Um, what are your what's your advice for folks that want to be college presidents? Um, well, I would say specifically for um, for California, you know, as you are very well aware, we have our statewide organization um, known as Colegas, and it has a very long acronym that's about the three C's in the California Community College System and um, Organización de Latinos for Empowerment and Guidance. Um, very long, honestly, because we loved Colegas and we we're like, how can we talk about it? Because everything was about Colegas, right? That's how we grassroots started this this organization so i would say for anyone who's in the state of california at least for now and actually we have some non-californians that come to our stuff i would say connect with colegas because that is an organization that is absolutely centering um latinidad in all that we do and um there are professional development programs we have these sessions called la escalera sessions where you get um, it's always on the weekend. We have folks all across the state from chancellors to college presidents, vice presidents, deans, faculty, who will basically do um, like a consult connection with you when you're applying for a position or as you're moving on. Um, and we do that intentionally on how you can still be your authentic self um, and know um, how to approach and go into these spaces. So Colegas is, is an organization that's available to California. Um, and I would even say those outside. I think we have some folks from Utah and like Washington and Oregon that sometimes participate in our stuff. But I would say in terms of um, wanting to become a president, I have to be honest, I did not start with that journey. Look, I was like, what do I want to do to support? I started as a high school teacher and coach. Um, and then I became a social worker. And then I went into higher ed. So I don't have that traditional um, pathway. I think for me, before someone decides that they want to be a college president, I think I think you need to figure out um, if being in education, being an educator, being about 
the movement is is what you're interested in because it's going to take some super sustained levels of um, engagement and knowledge producing and knowledge sharing, I think, to be successful in the role. Sadly, and I hope this, I mean this in like no disrespect to folks out there who are college presidents. I really, I wish they could see me with my hands right now going like, Miran, I promise you, I'm, you know, I come in peace, but um, folks can become a college president because they do all the right things and they follow organizations that are about the status quo. And then they get into these positions and that becomes far more damaging because if you're coming to become a college president for your own personal gain, um, that is the antithesis of what students need. And I recognize that like I'm sitting in this position of privilege as a college president. I get it. But I honestly, I'm, I'm being very honest when I share, I did not become a college president for me. I became a college president because I believe that young people, old people, community members who look like me or sound like me or come from walks of life like me need to see that this kind of person can be a college president. And the beauty for me was finding a college that was going to embrace me as I was. Because let me tell you, I am not everybody's cup of chocolate, man. There are some colleges even around me here, even in my own district that um, might not necessarily uh, say, oh yeah, we want Angelica. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I feel like it needs to be personal like that. So make sure that you're about students and that's what you want to do. Make sure that you do your own work, handle your stuff so that you know that you love yourself, that you, all of your intersectionality, your identities, if you are partnered, have family, have kids, know that this job um, is, is um, uh, invasive to put it bluntly. And so for me, um, when I think about, being a college president, it had to be in tandem with my wife and what was the kind of college that I wanted to be at and in the community so that I could still be present at home to my girls. Um, so for me in the Bay and those of you that have to do hella commuting, you know, I'm intentionally um, chose a college that was in my community so that I could, you know, pick up my kid and, and go take her to practice or pick her up, right? Like to be still engaged because um, if you are just about getting the title for the title, you'll climb, you might be successful, but I don't know that you'll be impactful. I don't know that, and this is where people might really get offended. I don't know that it will have mattered that you were a college president if you don't have that level of um, kind of respect for the fact that these are students' lives that we're talking about. This is disrupting poverty. This is disrupting trauma and violence. And that's what I really believe college presidents need to give a damn about. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, all of that. Thank you. And I don't know who is not about you. Like they could kick rocks, okay? <laughs> but at the same time, I can say I understand because not I'm not for everybody either. So you know, yeah, that's yeah. it's part of a, you know we're both powerful mujeres, right? Like, and that yeah. that that comes off in different ways to different people. We're definitely primas, right? Yeah, I'm, for, got, I'm sure we, we are. We definitely but... are because, you know, we related for sure. The Garcia <laughs> family is big, huge, massive yeah. <laughs> yeah. for sure. Oh my um, God. But yeah, I mean, I love your energy. So thank you for thank bringing you it. All. And thank you for being just yourself unapologetically. Like it's it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to to be a part of and to to be in space with you. So, and mm. yes, shout out to colegas. Yes. I love that y'all invite me to be a part of your, your, your space. I'm like me. That was amazing. You, <laughs> you brought it. And for those of you that weren't there, she brought it like from a scholar level, from a 
chingona level. She was rocking it in that white suit. Let me tell you, that was like the top. <laughs> they were like, hella good stuff. And look at her rocking that, that suit. <laughs> that suit. I amazing. bought it just for that conference. I was like, Ooh, I know what I'm going to buy for this conference. And then I found out that I had to go before also Motley. I was like, I Oh know. damn. Now I feel like two feet tall. <laughs> so, uh, I had to really try to bring it, but um, yeah, definitely Colegas is doing great work and you all have to do a lot of virtual stuff. So people, I can see why people are joining. Yeah, all of our webinars are on our website. So yeah. you can go back and see, and again, all of that homegrown grassroots organic, right? There was no master plan. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, Rasa needs Rasa. We need some space. I mm-hmm. joked that, you know, it was us developing the brown bat phone. And so, you know, we have <laughs> that, right? So like, as people are like applying for jobs, I just found out that another hermano is going to become a community college president, right? Actually, our hermana, right? Cynthia Olivo just is going to mm-hmm. become president of Fullerton College. You were talking about having yes. been in Fullerton. So yeah. that's the, that's that energy, right? That's yes. the, you're not, you're not in it alone. That feels really, just feels really dope. Absolutely. She's going to be, she's going to be on, on pasa say to say, so oh, I'm sure. don't worry. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm going to bring her too, for <laughs> sure. She got good energy too. Okay. Final question. Everyone's got to ask, answer the question. How do you respond to this one? Get pasa HSIs. Man, HSIs. We are here. We are growing. Um, we are a part of students' lives in a way that we don't even know that it matters and it can manifest. And what I'll just say is be loud, brown, proud, wear the hoop earrings, wear the lipstick, wear the zoot suit if you need to, but just know that centering our cultura is what students need. And that can look different, right? Whether you're from Califas or you're from the Midwest or the East Coast, shout out to all the homies out there across the country, just make it real. Make it real, make it about the community um, because that's what Get Pasa HSI is. That's what's up. Absolutely. Mic drop. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for being on on the podcast. Yes. Thank you. We love having you and appreciate you dropping by the show. Oh, thank you so much. 